When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, I'm Brian Hyatt, and this is Rolling Stone Music Now. Today is part two of our look at some of the best music of 2022 that you may not have heard. These are some of my favorite episodes to do because I learn about so much great music, and hopefully you will too. First, I have Andre G bringing us some of the best hip-hop you may not have heard last year. Then Jalisa Lopez joins us to talk about some of the best Spanish language music of last year. And there's so much good stuff from so many genres there. And then Rob Sheffield joins me to go through the deeper cuts on his own list of 2022 favorites. I would say it's mostly indie rock, but with a few surprises in there. But let's get right to it. Here's my conversation with Andre G about some of the best unheard hip hop of 2022. So Andre, I wanted to go over some of your picks for the best hip hop of 2022 with a real emphasis on some deeper cuts. We'll start with the album that I think we talked about briefly on the top 50 albums podcasts, and that's Earl Sweatshirt's Sick. But I know you're a big fan, so maybe dig into that again for me. A lot of good things to say about this album. Like I said before, Earl is one of the best lyricists in the game, one of the most revered lyricists. He's helped develop the whole scene of artists who are like colloquially deemed as quote-unquote experimental boom bap, but they're artists who are just like very intricate lyricists who have no interest in conformity and just want to express whatever's, you know, on their heart. Sick, obviously, is a reflection of that. It's the Earl we love, existential, introspective, vulnerable, but then there are also moments like, um, a 2010. I'm gonna need a bigger bag for the cohort. Trying to make a millionaire out of slum dogs. Bet that head crack blunt force. Cozy with the East Africans up north. fire in a hole. Seeping into the mulch. I needed a quick result. I read it and don't respond. She see it and saw a sprinkle. I needed enough. Where the production is a little bit more accessible or more palatable than people have maybe been used to from him for the past couple years. Just overall, just a really impressive body of work. He's just an incredible lyricist to me. Then you had an album that I'm really into. The artist is called Elucid, and that's in all caps, E-L-U-C-I-D. And the album is I Told Bessie. And this is one of the trippiest albums of the year. Pretty edible friendly, I'd say, but I think it could freak. <laughs> you. I think it could freak you out, though. There's a track called Ghoulie, and the end is if you were in the right state, could really freak you out. Murder one mask and patchwork denim. Travel fox when it is back, no ceiling. Checking the tele biometric. No, you can't get on the guest list. But great production, really interesting lyrics. So tell me about your thoughts about this one. Yeah, like you said, I haven't given it the edible test, nor will I ever. <laughs> but not for me, but. Yeah, it's a very uh, trippy album, like you said, very nonconformist. Like, it's, I always love albums that feel like a dream sequence when you listen to them, like, straight through. Like, you're just going into these different realms sonically. And Elucid is great at that, as are a lot of artists on Backwood Studios or who release on Backwood Studios. But I think not just through the production, it's the way he approaches his lyricism or his songwriting, rather. It's not the typical, you know, hook bar, hook bar, or hook verse, hook verse 
format. He's very spoken word with it almost. The nuggets that hit me, like I said in the blurb, like his lyrical approach is like a windstorm of just phrases and lyricism that envelops you. And then you'll hear like an adage like, oh, I've already closed the book of whatever, all the stories they tell us about. It's just like a widely encapsulating concept that's streamed into just a quick couplet. And I think that's what he really excels at. And you get that a lot on I Told Bessie, which along with the production just makes it an experience even more, even more so than an album. He created a sonic world, which impressed me. And then we should talk about King's Disease 3 by Nas. And that's actually the fourth, I think, collaboration that he's done with Hit Boy. Hit Boy was on this pod talking about this. And it's really been a very special series of albums, a very unusual sort of late career peak for Nas. These albums are great. This one is really strong. Nas and Hit Boy, yeah, they've released four projects so far, the Kings of Seas series, as well as Magic, which was a pretty like underrated album. Nice surprise at the end of 2021. They just continue to find ways for the projects to sound fresh as a testament both to Nas's imagination as a lyricist and his, you know, willingness to explore different concepts and be introspective, as well as hit, as well as Hit Boy's production, which is varied, and he's just doing a lot of impressive things sonically, and that's heavily reflected on King's Disease. I think one thing with King's Disease Three that sets it apart for me from the other ones, I feel like Nas sounds even more invigorated as a rhymer. The lyricism and the phrasing has always been there. But his delivery hasn't always sounded as sharp as we're used to hearing from him. But now it feels like he had that extra punch that just makes it sound that much more exciting. He's still near the top of his game. I can't say at the top because it's like his best album is literally Illmatic. I think the excellence is typified by Thun. Like, niggas I really met through music shit. It be some real Thuns I grew up with. Phone calls from the fans, long stories so fast. Reflecting on the 90s, and obviously a lot of artists, they're stuck in the 90s, but he makes it sound riveting, and he doesn't sound stuck in it. As much as people deify the era, it's cool to hear somebody that was actually from there still have interesting things to say, and he does it over like this regal-sounding sample that Hitboy cooked up, and it definitely just shows Nas still at his best 30 years deep into the game. The way he constantly is switching up his flows on this album was really noticeable and really impressive. Like you said, it shows he has a weird amount of energy on this album. Like he sounds positively youthful, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. And that's great to hear because it's, it sounds like the Nas and Hit Boy collaborations aren't going anywhere. And then there was talk of maybe a Nas and Premiere album. It's good to see him still sounding fresh and like you said, youthful. So you're that much more excited to, to hear about, to hear his next projects. So let's look at Rome Streets. He's signed to Griselda. The album is Kiss the Ring. He's a New York rapper. And he stakes his claim you wrote as the world's best rapper. And even if you disagree, you can't dismiss his case. Yeah, I'm standing by that. Have, have you heard it? Whoever's listening, just you might feel the same way after listening. He's uh, pretty good, honestly. <laughs> he's, he's pretty good. Yeah, he's an exceptional rapper. Just, he gives me like that lyricist lounge vibe. I tweeted this out like way back, like... He's one of the few rappers that I could just listen to, like, rap forever. Like, just jump on stage with a mic and just go. For, like, this album, he's been unabashed. Like, I've spoken to him before. He's been unabashed about trying to 
take you back to that mid-90s renaissance sonically, but do it in an updated fashion. And I feel like we see that on Kiss the Ring. I feel like it's an album that's defined by like precision. Like not a word on this album is out of pocket or like his flow, his delivery, the cadences he delves into. Everything is so precise as well as like the actual content on a song like In Too Deep. Which is one of my favorites on the album. The way he'll mesh the battle bars, the lyrical supremacy with like wisdom, with reflection, storytelling about being in the streets and then the braggadocio, like all in one package. I just love him as an MC. Let's talk about Young Sloby. The album is Southeast. Young Sloby, yes. A talented rapper from Stockton. Unfortunately, he passed last August. Um, but Southeast was, in my opinion, a very impressive collection or impressive project that showed who he was, what he could offer, and the potential he had. I feel like there's a lot of, quote-unquote, post-Drakeo artists who kind of like have remnants of Drakeo's like unique delivery. It's like that intriguing mix of a whisper flow with snarling and like you don't know where the emphasis is going to come from in the delivery. Like it's not always on the end rhyme. Like that kind of style. I feel like Young Sloby was one of the best at that that I've heard. And he put it together over production that just has this like unmistakable bounce. But yeah, I love that. As much as we talk about post-regionalism, there are still cities where their sonic aesthetic is easily identifiable to that region. And I feel like Young Sloby did that with like California on Southeast and he put together a really impressive project. Introspective, um, has a nice ear for beats, a lot of like classic samples that he turned into like modern like beats with that Bay Area bounce. It's a long project and it just, I feel like it, that offers like a glimpse of like his versatility and like I said, again, the capabilities that he had. It's just a shame that unfortunately this is the last album that he released. Yeah, he shot a video for the single Pony. Which has, I guess, a genuine sample in it. Yeah. And then was killed like before the video even came out. Really sad stuff, man. Yeah. So Wi-Fi God is the artist. The album is Chain of Command. Yeah, Wi-Fi God from DC, DMV repping. Spoke with him last year about the album. He told me he wanted to kind of explore the Memphis funk sound from like a new new approach, a modern approach. So I feel like you feel that here on this album, this suite of production that's just very smooth, like jazzy, cruising music. It puts you, it makes you feel like you're like listening to like a 97 Memphis, like 3-6 Mafia tape or something, but in a way that still feels very modern. And I think it's a testament to his production that the project gives off the vibe of these classic samples, but it also sounds like he composed a lot of it and was able to mix it and make a sound vintage, which is impressive as well. Yeah, you have songs like uh, 365. Fuck what you heard. Flying Lotus. That just exemplify like why this album is great. Just like that classic Memphis like trap influence sound, the hi hats, 
the drums, the gliding samples, lush samples, but in a new package. Then we have Ransom, No Rest for the Wicked, and he's been around a while. He's a veteran rapper at this point. One thing that's great about this area with the way the internet allows artists to just drop on their own terms, like you see a lot of artists who've been around for a while, like you said, like Ransom, who can just take their release schedule or take their career, rather, into their own hands. And that's what he's been doing over the past several years, especially. Like, he's been probably one of the most impressive lyricists in the game, I feel like, in that belt of Freddie Gibbs, gritty street lane. And he released three projects last year, No Risk for the Wicked, as well as Chaos Is My Ladder, with the producer Vidon, as well as Pain and Glory. You have songs like Making It. Life is what you make it, nigga. You gotta make it. Cause ain't nobody giving you nothing. You gotta take it. They said you was basic and nobody, so face it. Overnight success. Yeah, these niggas swear they created a lane. Soul sample spitting bars that relates to the pain. 60 bars with no hooks, I was breaking. Where he's reflecting on his career, sharing the wisdom he's learned along the way, but also imbuing the listener with that, like, gritty, street lyricism that he's become beloved for. He's another artist similar to Rome Streets where he's just a razor-sharp, precise lyricist and put out one of my favorite bodies of work last year. There's so much chopped-up soul in the production yeah. to this particular album. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and it's chopped-up soul, but it's, and it's, somewhat in, it's constructed in a way that doesn't sound like a beat from, like, 1998 or 2006. Like, it sounds... It still sounds fresh and it sounds and made for 2022, you know? The artist is Quelle Chris, and the album is Death Fame, one word. Yes, Death Fame, Quelle Chris, artist from Detroit, talented artist. This project, he dropped in May. This album feels like a journal reflection of the past two years that everybody's been dealing with, with the pandemic, with quarantine, like the qualms that everybody's been having to be confronted with. And he explores his own on a human level, but then also as an artist. The idea of death fame is basically, I don't want to be a martyr to be beloved. I don't want to be, I don't want to no longer be here for you to recognize me and revere me as an artist. Love me now. And that's reflected throughout the album, obviously on the eponymous song. But the project, I think, Along with the themes, it's a very impressive display of his skills vocally. He's like doing so many different things vocally, like alive ain't always living. He's like borderline crooning, like on this the smooth record. Then you have a records like King and Black. Or the agency of the future, where he's like pitching his voice down to almost this cartoonish, like, timber. Stick out like the second tone of European. My high route is inaudible for that new I'm seeing. The big bank is applaudable. Yeah, th those tracks really stood out to me. That's a wild effect, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but even still, it doesn't detract from the sharpness of the lyrics. Like, he's got the, the bar. People trying to be like Mike then, I'm trying to be like Mike now. A dickhead and Levi Blues. Like, a hilarious line. And it was an album where you could tell he had fun with it. But he was also just like exploring a lot of existential themes, like going back to even alive ain't always living. Like, so grateful to be alive, but alive ain't always living. Sometimes niggas just survive day to day. It's about you know, accepting the moment, but also like encouraging listeners to make the most of their lives, not be, not make accepting the moment turn into stagnancy. A few tracks are produced by this guy, Chris Keys, who's 
really talented producer, a bunch of that has like this jazzy piano sound that he's known for. That dude's really good. He's Oakland based, I think, Chris Keys. Yeah. And they're actually frequent collaborators. They most recently collaborated on Innocent Country 2 in 2020, which was also like a really well-received album. Like they, they got the mesh, got the, um, I love their collaborations. I think, didn't they do a track for Judas and the Black Messiah together? Yeah, yeah they did. Yep. Yeah. No Cap <laughs> is the artist, and the album is Mr. Crawford. On first listen, I'll totally admit, as I was saying to you, this wasn't my favorite on your list, but I want to hear you make the case for it. Hey, I mean, listen, it's all, it's all relative, but uh, yeah, I feel like I chose this for my list because I feel like No Cap is like an underrated artist in that kind of sphere of quote-unquote pain rappers like the Polo G, Young Boy, Little Papas of the World, where it's like they have that kind of bluesy archetype that they infuse into like trap-inspired production. It's introspective, like reflecting on their struggle in like melodic, like palatable music. I feel like he's a of he's a very he's a pretty young rapper. I feel like of a lot of the rappers of his generation, he's a pretty good songwriter in terms of like song structure that's reflected on the album. It's 21 song. Not every song is gonna be the best song ever on a 21 song album, but I feel like he shows his potential on the high marks of the album. He explores a lot of melody. He does a lot of interesting things with his voice, like on Go Realer. I like that one. And he's also just very vulnerable about the toll of the streets and how that affects him. And you hear that on tracks like Vaccine. A falling star. Trying to stay focused, I keep drinking this lean. Killers behind me as I'm chasing my dreams, oh Lord. Trying to heal up a nigga, feel like time. Save the day. You come up out that cage, see the blood all on me. My scars are amazing, I lost homie after home. See the blood all on me, no, I came up out that Where he just takes that guitar-driven style. He just delves into the toll of the streets, the toll of the lifestyle, and how contending with the specter of death and incarceration, how that makes him feel and how he navigates through it all. I'm going to give it another chance after that. I'm sold. But yeah, another veteran at this point, I can't, actually can't believe he's a veteran, but he is. Another veteran at this point, Lupe Fiasco, and the album is Drill Music and Zion. Yeah, Lupe, like he's a a veteran, like a master sensei at this point, sensei of lyricism or something. First of all, I got to say, like, he said that he wrote this project, I think, and recorded it as well in 72 hours on a $100 mic and recorded into GarageBand. I just want to say, if you're like an aspiring artist listening to this, listen, if he can do that, you can do it. Like, I'm sure he had really great mastering after the fact, but listen, you can do it. Get to it. If he can do it, you can. Yeah, it's just another, like, strong, I guess, late career, we could say at this point, exhibition of he's one of the game's best lyricists, but I feel like he excels at social commentary in a way that he doesn't beat you over the head with it. He's not explicitly like just saying it. He's so good at double meaning that he'll like on a song like Kiosk. Diamonds only worth what you are willing to pay. A deceptive game you are killing to play. Now I have diamonds. It's odd feeling this way. As you 
peel the layers back of the double meaning and you understand the bar, the double meaning of the bar, then you understand what he's conveying like thematically. And that's, I feel like that's a brilliant way to go about exploring the things he does um, for our society and the rap game and the black community. But yeah, he's just, like I said, a master of like extended metaphor. You have Miss Mural, which is like the conclusion of the classic Mural trilogy. If you had to paint the gutter, which color would you choose? Said the patron to the painter, the painter said the blues. Do you act off intuition or language? Anytime he puts that on a album, like the expectation is like top tier lyricism. And so he, feel like he delivers here it's just this or this conversation he has with a painter but it's also like a parallel for his career as a rapper so as you listen to the painters talk about the nature of artistry you're hearing lupe's reflections on his career and his perception of rap fame but without him explicitly just saying it in a way that would be i don't know less less artistic i don't know but yeah again then even on on phonem i've admired many cities through the windows of hotels and from the window of a plane i've seen the window of a cell the plane started to fly the rain started to which is like a brilliant title but just this i feel like album with this necessary glimpse of the toll that systemic oppression has on underserved communities and he does it in a way with the storytelling and the meta expression like him talking about the glimpse of like landing into LaGuardia, like anybody in New York, like how close Rikers is to LaGuardia. So you have them reflecting on people who are incarcerated, seeing these planes flying, going to places that for the time being that they won't get to go to. Beyond the physical reality of that, there's like a metaphorical reality of just seeing people going places you can't go. So I feel like he's just, again, like a master of the extended metaphor and he exemplified that here. And Fly Anakin, and the album is Frank. And I'm pretty sure we, I've talked about Fly Anakin on this pod before, but this is another good album by him. You could go into the to the minutia of why an artist is technically great, and then sometimes just, yo, I just love listening to him rap. Fly Anakin is just like that guy for me. He's a talented rapper-producer from Richmond. He's down with the Mutant Academy Collective. Yeah, he released Frank last March, a really strong overall project. Like, I love that. The way he just delivers his rhymes with attitude, like this really like emphatic delivery that makes it seem like on a cut with like multiple artists, such as Black Be the Source with Pink Seafood and Bill's Egypt. Like he, you can tell like he wants to be seen. He wants to the best artist on that record. And then yeah, I just enjoyed the album because he's such a character as an MC. Like he has a knack for like just this vivid imagery and these one liners. Like on Sean Price. Sean Price, stay tall like Sean Kim, got my alias from a bar fight. Oh, keep shit PC, cause it ain't me and that's all right. Pop shit when I need to, nigga bleed through. I got my alias from a bar fight, which is just like the most unique way I've heard an artist explain their name. But he's also just, as much as he's a character, he's also just a technically adept MC. And he's also just as capable of going from boasting to like reflecting on on the spiritual and intellectual level, but then also proclaiming himself as the best MC, like with battle bars and stuff. I don't know if you mentioned the track No Dough, which is, has a really great uh, Mad Lib production. That was, I think, one of the singles early on. Anytime you get a Mad Lib beat, you gotta listen, go for broke. And that's what he did on that one. <laughs> he did his thing on, on that track and throughout the project. All right, so the artist is Def C, D-E-F-C-E-E, and the album title is 
a very great album title that I'm surprised it took this long for someone to use for all debts, public and private. Yeah, as, as much as rappers fixated on money, you would think somebody, that was an easy one. Yeah, Def C and Boathouse, I want to, it's just a collaboration project, Boathouse produced the album. But yeah, Def C and Boathouse, right. Chicago-based artists on closed sessions, that's a Chicago-based label. Def C is a veteran of the Chicago rap scene or just the quote-unquote underground in general, been rapping for since, I believe, like mid-2000s. So he's been at it for a long time. He's actually a teacher as well as rapper. And I'll just refrain from any corny rap school joke. But yeah, but this project here, I think it's one of his like best overall bodies of work. He attacks it with just from the jump. He said that he has said that with the intro, he wanted to challenge himself as far as cadences and flows, and you hear that with the way he like commandeered the beat and really went into so many different pockets just on the intro, which just was a harbinger for what you would hear. Imitation's the lowest form of real love unless you put a meal up. Caught wreck, now let's build some. In a city where out-of-towners live for a couple years. Throughout the album, he just delved into this tenacious delivery and just assonance, but as technically adept as he was, he dropped in so many different reflections and glimpses of you know his life i feel like it's interesting because like you said money is a or money or finances or the chase or pursuit of finances has always been such a prevalent topic in hip-hop but he approaches it in such a relatable way like he's not talking about he doesn't want to rob a bank or anything like that not that there's anything wrong with that depiction but it's a more relatable reflection of the challenges of not having money as an independent artist or as a father, that really resonated with me. I mean, I feel like a lot of people in these economic times. But then you have a track like Moving Targets, where he's the target is not a rapper, it's the bag. Got my name on blast, like ankle monitors over low socks. There's holds water like Highlanders on the stovetop. Played the game and barely got it. So you can go for yours and you can want to be the best MC and you can even want to outdo MCs like he probably vibed to on this album, but you don't have to go through your peers to do that. Then you have a track like Summer 06, just this flashback storytelling, like. Delicate is the youngest pride. Pulse skip like train wheels. I fell in love every other line. Name an intersection. I'll shut. Cruising through Chicago, trying to talk to this girl, but then he has the self-deprecation to admit I have same amount of game as a rain delay, which is so, so clever to me. Um, <laughs> then obviously like Boathouse just gave him one of the best, I feel like, soundscapes of all year. Like, he just gave him this really cold, immersive set of beats, and it adds the pathos to see lyricism and the kind of internal reflection he's going through throughout this album. I feel like they have an impressive chemistry, and it was demonstrated here. Track 8, Bubble Coat. Supreme clientele was my homework. Notepad had a Cuban links worth the cold words. Wanted to rock bubble coats with the faux fur. One it's a tribute to Wu-Tang and specifically Ghostface Killer and Raekwon, both in the production and in the rapping, which is really cool. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. See, yeah, like I said, he was trying to just do different things. As a lyricist, sometimes it's not just about, oh, I got the beat, let me just rap as well as I can. Sometimes you give yourself that conceptual North Star, so then that compels the best lyricism out of you. All right, let's talk about Chris Patrick and his album X-Files. Yeah, so Chris Patrick, really exciting artist from Jersey. He released X-Files last August. I talked to him about the album. He told me, I believe, that the album was created over an 18-month period, and he didn't actually have the crux of what he felt would be the X-Files concept until 11 months in. 
he was feeling like a lot of creative block about feeling, I guess he didn't know if he had much more to say as an MC, but then with most artists, you just go through life and life experiences will obviously inspire you artistically. And that's what happened with him. He said he ended up rewriting a lot of the tracks through the process as well. Yes, yeah, a very introspective project. He's culling through the battling depression, grappling with what we're taught about masculinity versus what he wants to be as a man or his qualms with the idea of success. And I feel like his greatness as an MC is exemplified with two tracks right next to each other. You have Useless. And it's about the fourth time this year I done thought about ending it all, but I'm scared to push forth on that trigger. In New York with my niggas, we don't really rock, but I feel like the source of my dances is... Which is a track where he's talking about ideation, feeling far from his dreams, Mm. dealing with substance abuse, like these really heavy topics over like these doleful vocal samples that comprise the beat. But then in Insane Staircases, he explores a lot of the same traumatic themes, but it feels like it's coming from a different mood, like a more churning, trap-influenced sound. I'm going insane again. I'm seeing an image of people who died in my motherfucking brain again. My shorty concerned, I picked up the herbs and I'm all the pain again. Echoes my eyes, I've been losing sleep. Even like a different voice, he sounds damn near another person. Like I said, it exemplifies like his versatility in a way he can just get into different pockets, get into different approaches. He showed that throughout the project here. Che Noir is a really great rapper from Buffalo, New York. Now, Griselda Records is also in Buffalo, New York, but she is not on Griselda. She disrespects that lineup and was influenced by some of the sound of stuff on that label. And she released, I think, two albums last year. But the one you're talking about is Food for Thought. Yeah, Food for Thought. Yeah, dropped in January. Yeah, she's yeah Buffalo-based, like you said. She's down with Trust Gang, 38 Specials crew. But yeah, like the upstate sound, they definitely have this gritty sound that's gritty, soulful aesthetic that's been popularly identify with Gazelda, but yeah, they're their own movement, actually. But yeah, Food for Thought, a really imaginative album, a project that she told me, I spoke to her about the album that she created in part after dealing with a bout with COVID and also through grieving the loss of her brother. And a lot of that reflection makes it into the album. And every song title centers around a food-related idiom, whether that's Table for Three. In our blood, eternal water fountain the bars. Triggers Kalia's soul fountain the stars. Look, I hate when niggas run a mouth. Like- water to wine. Or- What's the process worth to you? I think about that question time and time again and draw back to eat or starve. Look, as a kid was wise, could be poor with the richest mind. They say penny for your thoughts, but I'm giving nickels and dimes. Wisdom ball when you old, but it's so- And that was an impressive way to keep the food for thought concept going. And she, I think Che Noir for me, what makes her exciting as an MC is the way that she toes the line between like wisdom and being vulnerable, but at the same time still being like, still delivering hard like rap and still being gritty. I feel like that mesh is reflected on the project, her, how she's dealing with loss and her experience with grief. It permeates project. And with Chameleon, she explores that concept with uh, a song that conceptually shows her going figuratively to the front of the church, spilling on everything that she's been through. I tend to hide when I grieve. Losing my brother hurts so much that I cry in my sleep. I'm waking up out of my dreams every night in a scream, trying to find reason. Shame. She intersperses those verses with like monologues from like a pastor that's delivered in like a, a humorous manner that kind of offsets the heavy tones of the song. I thought that was a smart addition. And she also produced five tracks on the album. She's a 
artist and producer. I feel like she's pretty underrated, but I feel like more people should just tap into what she has going on. Dense lyricism and introspection, but then also like the gritty, the braggadocious, the battle bars like you see on a brains for dinner. Never do dirt with your bare hands cause they dusting for prints. If anyone witnessed this crime, cut off their tongue and they lips. I appetite for eating rappers turn to beat the She goes like toe to toe with Ransom and 38 Special on Table for Three or even Gold Cutler with Rome Streets. A couple of those are rappers that we previously mentioned on this pod and she goes toe to toe with them and I felt like that was really impressive as well. Yeah, I, I love this album. I was thinking about all the albums that I didn't get to write about or shout out in end of year season. There's obviously Boldy James. And the nigga in my city that don't know me for trap. Ask that nigga, did he have a beans before he was rapping? I remember pushing yam, selling dope in the Saturn. And all best wishes to him. I hope he mends as well as he can. He had recently had a car accident, but in 2022, he released four really dope projects. Exemplify himself as right along with his. Griselda Pierre is one of the best lyricists in the game. Then you have Fat Boy Sharif, who's one of my rap, one of my favorite rappers, who just has this one of one style. I'm infinity molded, chemically chosen, despite worldviews, mental Kennedy broken, pale Thor tied up. He had a project with a Deadlong Cyber City Society that was released last year, which was like this dystopian sonic depiction of where our fixation on tech could go or not could go because it's obviously like fantasy but it's a really good project check that out then you have akai solo he released his spirit roaming album later towards the end of the year that was a really well-regarded album but along with him there's also Entei's grip there's silence there's deadlong who i just mentioned there's feek all the crew of talented lyricists who are like pushing boundaries sonically um and then yeah just shout out to ptp vision like really helping indie artists all over the country all over the world really released their music, Gang Grizzly. Then, yeah, Backwood Studios, we've talked about, I feel like a couple of, or at least a Lucis album that's that dropped on there. Def C actually had an album that dropped on Backwoods last year as well. Billy Woods dropped a couple albums on Backwoods, his label. This thing was broke from the jump. No point going back and forth over who did what. My character all rolling loud. Yeah, then there's a little Papa. Jamonte Ogbon. Beautifully black. Wrecking crew. The left hand says go long, the right suggests even farther. Your logo seven brethren, hard to see you as a starter. Nobody want to die, but everybody want to Yeah, there's just so much good music and in so many different directions last year. And I wanted to reflect that with my best or my personal picks. And I hope I did that. I appreciate you taking the time, man. Oh yeah, likewise. Thanks for having me. So to go through kind of an amazing list of some of the best Spanish language and bilingual music you may have missed from 2022, I have joining me Julissa Lopez. Hello. Hi, Brian. How's it going? Not too bad. And before we jump into the deeper cuts, I think you did want to talk about some of the bigger 
music this year because there's some people who may have missed even the big stuff. We're talking a year in which Latin music was projected to generate a billion dollars and saw like a 35% increase in revenue. So it was a huge year. I think a lot of that was because of the Bad Bunny and Rosalia records. Rosalia, I say, being Spanish language album versus a Latin album, but those were huge. And I think what stands out to me about those two in particular is that they were really reflective of the broad experimentation and melting of genres that really happened across all genres of Latin music. Everyone is doing this in kind of a different way. But a lot of what I heard this year is just artists doing weird shit and like really committing. So you have someone like Bad Bunny mixing traditional rhythms and an electronic music on a song like El Apagón. Puerto Rico está bien cabrón, ey, está bien cabrón. De Carolina sale el reggaeton en los hijos de putas de Bayamón. And then you also have Rao Alejandro, who made Saturno this year. And it came out a little later in the year, so I think some people might have missed it. But it's a great album that it's this homage to 80s and 90s club music and Latin freestyle. And it's just really different to what he's done before, but it keeps this connection between reggaeton and electronic music going. Good one to play right there, I think might be Casadores. <laughs> Uh, which features the art, the Puerto Rican artist Arcángel, and you can hear them experimenting with all these different beat breaks and doing something that's just a little different. So you can hear that kind of link between electronic music and reggaeton, and you can really think of both of those styles as thriving in the club underground, specifically in Puerto Rico in the 90s. And then you saw people like Mora kind of doing something similar with his album, Microdosis, which came out earlier in the year. And Mora's really cool. He's this Puerto Rican producer who is known for producing a lot of Bad Bunny's albums and has a bunch of credits on those. But he struck off on his own and put out his first album, Primer Dia de Clase, and this was the follow-up. You can hear in Bad Trip. How he's also interested in these club sounds. And I think it shows just like how, especially in Urbano music, people are just continuing to think beyond genre and try to think of what else they can do, especially as reggaeton and Urbano continues to go really global. So I think those are two that I, maybe more on like the, on the, in the mainstream world, might be albums that people miss, but I think that they're very much in conversation with the Bad Bunny and Rosalia records. But if you go further down, I think, just look at maybe some smaller, more independent artists. One album that I thought was so incredible and different to anything out there was this artist that I love, uh, Mavi Frati. Uh, her album, Se Ve Desde Aquí, was just, uh, I remember hearing it and just like hearing it it was just, just felt like unlike anything I'd ever heard before. And she's a Guatemalan cellist and singer-songwriter now based in Mexico City. And this is an album with the cello really at the center, which I feel like cello, besides like Wednesday, the series, I don't know that we're really hearing a lot of cello music and pop music. But um, I think what she's doing here is really, it's incredible. I know that you heard that one too. And I just, I just thought it was so haunting and spare and intense and love the kind of the dynamic that's happening across this record. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's very hard to make comparisons, but I would, you could say it's like the most recent Fiona Apple album multiplied by Kate Bush with a little Joanna Newsom <laughs> on that kind of tip, like super experimental and just relentlessly interesting is what I would say. Definitely. And her voice is doing a lot of the work here, fortifying these arrangements that 
are really weird and loose and intense. I love the way that it sounds on Cada Musculo, which is probably the song I've played the most on this album. I think I like woke my husband up when I first heard the song. I was like, oh my God, you need to like come on this journey with me. Because it's a song that, you know, sort of building and building and building. And uh, I, I think she sounds incredible on it. And I just, her work is just so interesting. And I can't really, she reminds me a little bit of Lucrecia Dalt, who also had a great album that, in the similar vein, is just very much her own sound and her own production world. And I think it just makes me really excited for everything out there happening in, in Latin music. For a couple others that you put under the category of, and I'll just quote you, weird experimental shit, which was, <laughs> I like pretty much all of this stuff, but maybe take us through some of those other ones. Sure. I was a really big fan of this kid. Um, he's from the Dominican Republic, and he's a producer that's been on the rise for a while. I think he really embodies the energy of what's happening in the Dominican Republic with these younger artists making a lot of their own sounds and songs. The Dominican Republic scene right now is really known for Dembo, which has gone insanely global over the last few years with artists like Bokisha teaming up with J Balvin and Rosalia. And you can hear it. It's very much the backbone of this album and of Medio Piki's music, but he's bringing so much other stuff into it. And I just, I think he's freaking brilliant. He works often with this other kid. Diego Raposo, that I'm a really big fan of, who's another sort of young, rising creative genius. And on this album, they worked together a few times, including a song I love called Ahititi. It's really fun to say <laughs> and just a really fun song that's like experimenting with Dembo and taking the skeleton out of it but moving it into different places. I was also a really big fan of, and a lot of these you can find, we did a list of the 50 best Spanish language albums this year. This was a favorite all around from a lot of our writers and freelancers. But Divino Niño, Last Ball on Earth. Divino Niño is a band from Chicago made up of Latinx kids from all over and a fun indie dream pop record, but also playing and deconstructing Caribbean rhythms and uh, reggaeton, and especially this sort of wave of reggaeton known as Neo Perreo, which is a more online. If you think of artists like Miss Nina, I think they were inspired by, by this more like digital reggaeton sound, and they're playing with it across this record and just doing again, just like being weirdos and having a lot of fun. And this record, I think, was like a favorite throughout. I think my favorite song on here is a song called XO that's just like really irreverent and fun and bilingual. They're like singing in both English and Spanish, and it's just a really great one. Then you had a category that you called regional. Yeah, I think what I would say is that Mexican music was huge in 2022. It's been on the rise for a long time in terms of genres within Latin music. But you saw it grow in a really big global way this year. In April, there were major Coachella sets from Banda MS and the mega band Grupo Firme. You had the band Eslabón Armado release this album called Nostalgia, which was the first album of Musica Mexicana or, or regional music to reach the top 10 on the Billboard 200. And and I think we kept seeing it grow. And a lot of the genre has been really pushed ahead by a wave of incredibly young artists. Like they're all like within the ages of like 15 to 20. And they've been leading a subsect of Musica Mexicana, that these like sad acoustic ballads that have taken a lot of 
urban influences and, and maybe some of the cadences of rap and hip hop while seeing that really traditional backbone and traditional Mexican music. You see that in the music of Nathanael Cano, who released his album Nata Kong this year. Nathanael is kind of the poster child of uh, which are a style of music that takes a lot of traditional Mexican music, but takes the storytelling of classic corridos with a, like a hip hop attitude and style. And Nathanael was making these when he was like 18 years old and Back in 2019, he had this one viral song called Soy Diablo. That Bad Bunny heard and liked and he jumped on the remix and shot into fame. And so Nata Kong is, is at now, years later. I interviewed him this year and he told me that this is more, this is an album that captures him now that he's more grown up. And I'm like, dude, like you're still like 21 years old. Like, <laughs> he just, you know, started making music when he was 17 on a song like Brio. You really hear the evolution of Corridos Tumbados, like the, and that traditional Corrido backbone that has made him such a star. I would also say on the more established end, so the, you know, you have a young artist who are making waves in this genre, but you have the old school artists just still having a huge moment in Musica Mexicana. My personal favorite are Los Tiros del Norte, who we interviewed in April. Um, they came back this year with like their first album of new music in about eight years. And it's tied to this really emotional documentary on Amazon Prime that I would encourage everyone to watch because it's really beautiful and just outlines their story. They're a band of made up primarily of brothers, which is one cousin who cross the border together from Mexico and have really become a voice for immigrant communities in the U.S. And the way they tell stories of immigrants and, you know, people who come here to work from Latin America looking for a new life is, I think, just really special and really beautiful. They have a song on this album called La Carta. Lleven esta carta mi mamá which is uh, really emotional. It's about a man who came up to them at a concert and explained that because he was undocumented, he didn't know when he was going to go back home. So he asked mm. them on their tour if they could pass along a letter that he'd written for his mother since he didn't know when he would ever be able to go back. And like, I mean, it's like something I get choked up just like talking about that song because it speaks to my personal family history in this country. And I think it's a struggle that so many people go through, but I think it really ties back to something that they've been doing for decades. and really amazing that they're continuing to do it after so much time on on this album. The second one on your list with the amazing flamenco influence, the guitar playing, acoustic guitar playing. Another kid who had a huge year is Junior H. Uh, he's a signee on Rancho Milde Records, which they've been really, had signed Nathanael Cano, and they've been like really at the forefront of everything that's happening in Regional. And uh, he had this great album, maybe then. Uh, so this is the second part of, I think he released the first part of the album last year. But he's got a little bit more of a Baroque kind of sound, like you said. But still like the, his style and the way of writing feels like really fresh and young, even though he is pulling from like more of these traditional influences. Just another really great record kind of in this. Uh, 
realm that really shows like how far, you know, that music is coming and how much new energy there is there. It's just absolutely sick acoustic guitar playing on this record. I can't recommend <laughs> it enough. Like really amazing one. And it's set up to this one. If it's just him, then he's playing two guitars, one in each channel, or I don't know if he's got someone else playing I think there's somebody else. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's what it sounded like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounded like two guitar players just like grooving off each other. And what's really <laughs> cool is for the for the whole album, it's set up that one guy is on the left and one guy is on the right and the far left and the far right. And it's a very unusual setup to have that kind of going through the whole album. And also really great album cover with just hands sparking an enormous joint over <laughs> over some mountains. So it's, the yeah. album, it's the album cover of the year as far as I'm concerned. And now you have a list of some really great and interesting singer-songwriters doing a bunch of different things. Maybe you can take us through these people who yeah. released great albums last year. Yeah, it was. A, I would say it was a really big year also, in addition to all the experimental energy that you saw in reggaeton and urbano, in addition to how enormous Musica Mexicana is getting, you also had kind of some of the old, like, more standard singer-songwriters coming back and making these phenomenal albums. I have to shout out Natalia La Forcada. Her album, The Todas Las Flores, was stunning. She debuted at Carnegie Hall and had like David Byrne come up and read like a part of it. He read some of her lyrics as sort of a poem and it was just really ambitious and stunning. It's also her first album of all original music, I think in about seven years or so. She's really interesting because she had gone down, her last two albums had been this sort of series that was an homage to the Latin American songbook and Mexican tradition. We hadn't heard her own, like an album just of her own music and in, in quite a while, but she wrote this during the pandemic. And so a lot of it is about, she has said that she was thinking a lot about life and death and the cycle of death and processing a lot of different things. So it's it, weirdly, it's sort of a dark album, but also with like a feeling of rebirth. And I think you can hear that in all these different genres and sounds that she's playing with. Um, it sounds like a rebirth for her. She's playing with Asanova and there's some really intricate, almost like salsa melodies on here and just a much richer style of arrangements than I think that she's done in the past. She's somebody who plays a lot acoustically, but this is a much more filled out and rounded out album and it's just really beautiful. De todas las lunas que miramos. The arrangements are super tasteful, kind of built around nylon string guitar, but then there's almost Burt Bacharach-type instrumentation and big orchestras and some. It's a really cool-sounding album, actually. Yeah, and she's a phenomenal songwriter. So much of it, too, I think you can, in her songwriting and the stories that she's telling on the album, it feels so tied to nature and the natural world. She has one song where she's just, like, singing to a bird that she saw in her garden. And she's got this, like, whimsical... She's like this elfin fairy woman who... <laughs> lives and creates off in, in a corner and then comes back and has this gorgeous, bountiful album of incredible music. So I'm a really big fan. I love what she did on this album. And I also like this uh, Jorge Drexler album. Oh my gosh, I can't say enough nice things about Jorge. Just like this like maturity and sense of connection that he has. This was also a big one at the Latin Grammys this year. He won Song of the Year. Que viva la telefonía en todas sus variantes he was nominated for album of the year and Jorge Drexler is like in his 50s I want to say now also has been at this for quite a while and we talked to him about this album a lot he shared that he actually had like an insane bout of writer's block uh, during the pandemic because his usual process is to play different snippets of things and get feedback from friends 
And during lockdown, he couldn't have any of that. So it was a really tough album for him to finish. But eventually, as the world started opening up again, he was able to collaborate with different people. He collaborates with the salsa legend Ruben Blades on here. Corría la era del mesoproterozoico Cuando aquella célula visionaria and also has a song with us. So you can almost hear the album opening up, I think, in real time. And it's talking a lot about connections between people, relationships, I think, that were things that were going through his mind during the pandemic. He has a, he has a song about the algorithm, which is really great. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's got it. He's, I think he's like a really popular TED Talk. And again, just somebody who's like really interested in human connection. He's a brainy, cerebral writer, but I think he manages to bring a lot of emotion into this album, which is why I really liked it. What else on your singer-songwriter? I have to mention this was a big comeback year for the great Julieta Venegas. Julieta Venegas is, she was kind of the indie darling of the 2000s. Had a lot of really, really big songs. And then she stays to herself, almost similar to Natalia Laforcada in a way. But she is back after people had been anticipating a big comeback. Very unexpectedly was on a song with Tiny and Bad Bunny in 2021. And people were just, I think, just begging for her to come back with new music. So she she has this album and it's it sounds like vintage Julieta, but she's also got some new pop energy in here and taking that that indie darling crown and wearing it again, which is really great to see. And I feel like it's also an album that really is focused on womanhood and ideas of being a woman in Latin America. I was struck by Amismo Amor, which is kind of in a slight Dua Lipa vein almost. That yeah. kind of retro disco thing. Exactly. So I, this is like what I love to see from Julieta. Like she's still experimenting with different things. I think she's finding new avenues into pop here. And I think this is the return that everybody was waiting for. So then there's Ile. Ile is Ileana Cabra. I think a lot of people might know her. She was a, in and out of a famed band with the famed duo with Presidente and, and Visitante. She's their younger sister. Oh. And then a couple of years ago, yeah, a couple of years ago, she she also struck off on her own and decided to make her own music and made this incredible album of old boleros and salsa and more traditional music. And on Nacarila, she's back and it's an incredibly political album. She's been a really central figure in a lot of the in the protests in Puerto Rico and a lot of the issues in Puerto Rico, which I think are really front and center of this album. And also really interested in, I think, there's a lot of songs on here, I think, that are really empowering. One that I was not expecting, but that I love and I'm so excited about was Algo Bonito, which features the reggaeton matriarch, Evie Queen. Wouldn't have put the two of them together, but it works so well on this album. And again, just like a really powerful one from her. We, of course, featured your interview with her brother on this podcast last year. We go. <laughs> I forgot about that. Uh, oh, I wanted to actually shout out track five on that album. Lo que yo quería. Me vendaste cuando estaba por ver el precipicio que escondía detrás. Me confundiste cuando... Yes. To close out, you had three artists, three albums that you characterized as cool newcomers. <laughs> yeah. 
And I think the first person that I have to talk about who had a massive year, just like a spectacular breakthrough is Viana Tiano. Um, she's a rapper who's been making waves in Puerto Rico, which is really powerful and outspoken, proudly trans. And I think that in a genre, it's been historically masculine, often homophobic. And I think mm. her sort of like rappers who suck, to be frank, and she's had it out with a few of them. But I think the amazing thing about her is that she's so secure in who she is. She's always standing up for her community and she has something to say. So her album, it's her big debut that a lot of people were waiting for, La Sustancia X came out in December. It's full of her flexing and being a boss and being an incredible rapper, but she also has music on here that's speaking out against femicides and against violence against women and trans women that has been on the rise in Puerto Rico and in the Caribbean. And she has songs that are specifically honoring queer club sounds and LGBTQ history. I think she's going to have an amazing career. She's already been shouted out by Bad Bunny. I'm a big fan of Mujer, which features Ellie, and it's kind of the most political song on the album. And then I think probably the song I'm the biggest fan of on here is Calidoscopica. Again, you can just like hear just genuinely how good of a rapper she is. Um, so again, that's Viado Antiano. This record is so good. And then you had one of my favorite artist names uh, that I've heard recently, <laughs> Kiko L. Crazy. Kiko L. Crazy. Yes. I put him on here because I also just want to talk about how big Dembo was this year. You have uh, on our 50 greatest Spanish language albums, we had Kiko L. Crazy. We had El Alfa. Um, and Kiko L. Crazy has been on the scene for a while. He's done it all. Like he was almost making, experimenting with almost these like weird R&B sounds for a while. But on this album, Diego El Domi, it's just this really bright record that is playing with like pop sounds and it's playing with Dembo, which he's known for, but taking it into different directions. The first song on here. He told me that when he was making this, he was thinking about classic singer-songwriters from the Dominican Republic, like Juan Luis Guerra, and was trying to imitate those those guitars and that sounds. And I just think it's a really fun album. And if you ever see Kiko Crazy, like he's got this like bright pink like hair that like is like shooting out in every direction. He's got like a Bad Bunny thing going on where he's wearing like all of this really gender fluid clothing and it's just very much his own person. And I feel like this album sounds exactly like that. And I guess you had one more. Yeah. Who did I have? Silvana. Uh, oh, Silvana. Yes. This was a really big year for Silvana Estrada. She put out this record, Marchita, that she'd been working on for several years. It's really looking at the idea of heartbreak and again, yeah, just, she's just a really fantastic songwriter. And what I love about this album is that it's really stripped back. There's not a lot of sounds on here. It's really led by her voice and acoustic sounds. And I think people were just really blown away by it. Um, kind of a historic moment tied as best new artist this year with the artist Angela Alvarez. They both got, they were both recognized as the year's best new artist. I think just because like nobody could decide between these two women. Angela Alvarez is a singer songwriter who's 95 years old and Silvana Estrada is just like in her early twenties. Um, but I think she just really made a bid for her sound. And I think it's just like such a delicate careful songwriter. She grew up, her parents were both instrument makers in Veracruz in Mexico. So she grew up around instruments being made and tuned all around her. 
she trained in jazz and choral music. And then I think you hear all of those influences on this album. So yeah, that's another one that I'm a really, really big fan of. I also want to shout out just a couple other records that I really love. Sure. There's Flavor Colectivo with Horas Doradas. They're a group from Colombia that have been really putting a spotlight on Afro-Caribbean rhythms, mixing dancehall and reggae, and there's a lot of fun. Um, also from Colombia, I'm a huge fan of Margarita Siempre Viva. They're sort of like a, a kind of a post-punk rock band from Bogota. I caught them at a stereo picnic a couple of years ago and just saw their live show and it was like the first I'd ever heard of them and I just thought they were so great. They had a rougher sound back then, but on this album, it's just their sound, they've grown up a lot. The sound is like really clean and they just, you can just tell that there's been like so much growth over the last couple of years there. Awesome. I think that might be it. Yeah. That's a lot of great music. Thank you so much for uh, taking us through it. Of course. Again, I mean, I, I always say that it's like insane shorthand to say Latin music because we're talking about of course. all of these genres in dozens of different countries. And that's the hardest part of covering this, but it's also awesome because there's just so much talent out there to unpack and discuss and to discover so yeah absolutely thrilled to get to do this hey it's kaylee cuoco for priceline ready to go to your happy place for a happy price well why didn't you say so just download the priceline app right now and save up to 60 percent on hotels so whether it's cousin kevin's kazoo concert in kansas city go kevin or becky's bachelorette bash in bermuda you never have to miss a trip ever again so download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. What's up, everyone? It's Reality Steve, your number one source for all things Bachelor Nation and reality TV. Every day, I'm giving you the behind-the-scenes juice and your info on all your Bachelor Nation stories and also interviewing some of your favorite reality stars. My name has been synonymous with spoilers, but I'm so much more than that. Give me a listen. The Reality Steve Podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen. With you, the genre really is, I would say, Rob Sheffield. Uh, you did a list on our website of your top 20 albums of 2022. And not all of them are under the radar today. The theme is under the radar. So we're going to skip the better known ones or the ones that were on other lists. I guess I would actually go to number 18, which is hardly an obscure band, but it's not an album that got perhaps a ton of attention this year. It's the long-awaited return of the Yeah, Yeah, Yes. And the album is called Cool It Down. Yeah, the Yeah, Yeah, Yes did a fantastic record this year. Not exactly out of nowhere. The amazing thing about this band is that they figured out really early what bands usually destroy themselves by not learning, which is the way you stay together as a band is give each other lots of space and do it when you want to, not because it's time to. And so they do a ton of side projects in between. They At this point, they take years between records. But this way, they've never made a bad one. I remember talking with them about how they started opening up for all these bands that have broken up by now, the Strokes or the White Stripes. And it's funny because that was 
15 years ago. It's just funny that they've outlasted all the other bands from their moment when nobody expected this band to last long enough, as Nick Zinner said, to even make one album. Blacktop is a phenomenal song. It's very much thematic for them, the idea of being a rock and roll adult who is part of an adult life and yet has that same kind of open-eyed, open-eared curiosity of youth. So there's a lot going on in this song. There's classic early 2000s sort of indie sleaze rock dance groove. There's an element of punk in the guitars. There's a whole lot of Eno in the synths, particularly 70s Eno. It's funny that you play this Yeah, Yeah, Yeah song back-to-back with Taylor Swift's Labyrinth. And it sounds like they've been listening to the same Eno songs on Another Green World, but it's completely fantastic. And it has that great part where she stops and recites a bit of Dylan Thomas's poem, Fern Hill. And it makes him smile because Dylan Thomas was a Welsh poet who came to New York so he could drink himself to death in the bars of the West Village. Whereas Brian Eno is an English guy who came to New York to get crazy amounts of sex in the bars of the East Village. So it's this beautiful celebration of New York as this place where all the pretentious freaks from all over the world gather. Where Dylan Thomas and Brian Eno met in the bathroom once, right? (laughs) Shout out to Lizzie Goodman. Uh, Number 17 is, uh, there's a lot of interesting and under the radar indie rock acts on this list. And number 17 is a duo named Mama and the album is Household Names. Yeah, Mama are a phenomenal band. I heard them in the classic rock and roll way, which I was sitting in a bar in my neighborhood one night, Lake Street in Brooklyn, and this song was playing and it was so good that I went up to the bartender and I was like, you got to tell me who this band is. And it was Mama, M-O-M-A. And it's two women who are still teenagers, I think, or at least they're barely into their 20s. This is actually their second album. And they have a phenomenal guitarist producer boy who is in the video. They're really rolling around like a a, a, a trio. It's funny to see the video is almost like they remade the Smashing Pumpkins 1979 video. The sound is really fantastic grunge, for lack of a better word. I'm sure as a guitarist, you could point out the elements of what pedals they're using to get that amazing kind of quasi shoegaze sound, but really big hearted, big noise kind of rock and roll songs. And number 15, it's similar to the Yeah, Yeah, Yeah's in that it's actually a big name, but it's hard out there for a veteran artist of any genre. And the number 15 is Blackstar. They came back and made a record called No Fear of Time. I love this Blackstar record enough to actually listen to it, which they made (laughs) it very hard to do. They didn't release it on any streaming services or as a CD. To get it, to even hear it, you had to sign up for a podcast app, which is really a beautifully self-defeating way of releasing an album that's a 90s flashback in a way that makes it a sort of beautiful, self-sabotaging celebration of the most self-sabotaging generation. It, it's called No Fear of Time, and it's these two 90s MCs from Brooklyn in the underground era of raucous records. They made one fantastic collaboration in 1998 and it's one of the most 
enduringly poetic of hip hop albums from that era. And lots of us over the years were waiting for Black Star to get back together and do this album again. I think a lot of people who were waiting for this record felt underwhelmed by it at first because they were expecting something cataclysmic like an apocalypse or a revelation or a renewal of their life. It's really these guys <laughs> saying where they've been, saying what they're looking forward to, collecting their philosophy of music and life on in one place to pass it on to the future and whatever comes next for them and wh- whatever comes next for us. There's a beautiful moment in the greatest track, the last track, No Fear of Time. Keep on, float on, no fear of time, float. Where they say, we assemble an arc and just float on. And that's really what they did in this album. They assembled an arc of music and poetry and hip-hop philosophy. A fantastic ending to the album is they have the legendary late great writer, Greg Tate, who died around this time last year. And they have a spoken word piece from him on hip-hop artistry playing over this amazing Mad Lib 70s funk style beat. And so the song just grooves out with Greg Tate giving this speech about how hip hop completely changed the culture's idea of black creativity. And it ends with Greg Tate saying that the thing about MCs is they have phenomenal memories. And it just ends on that, just with Greg Tate's voice going phenomenal memories, phenomenal memories, phenomenal memories over and over again. It's a really kind of beautiful summary of a hip hop spirit that began in the 90s and has never really died out. And number 14 is a very noisy album. I listened to this a bit. Water Damages Repeater. Yeah, Water Damage, a noise collective from Austin. Certainly don't want to oversell this record or give anyone the impression that it's easy listening in any sense or that it's even conventional music in any sense. It's basically wall-to-wall psychedelic guitar and other noise. They have usually two drummers, sometimes three, honestly, maybe four, depending (laughs) on maybe when there's a spare drum kit and someone goes out for more beer and comes back. It's a very loose collective and absolutely emphasize the sort of Velvet Underground Sister Ray type of just revelation through repetition. To me, it's a beautiful record and it's one that I can listen to. It's totally beautiful in that extremely ugly kind of way. And it's a fantastic just noise record you can listen to all day. It's funny that it's got a 20 minute noise psychedelic freak out on side one. Side two is two songs that sound really kind of melodic by comparison, but they still sound like a garbage truck blowing up compared to most music. We've mentioned this album before, but I think it's worth talking about again. A lot of people love this record. Really cool rap album, J.I.D.'s The Forever Story. Yeah, that's an album that obviously made a big impression on some level, but I think it got a little bit slept on in terms of attention to people who would Love it. I think a lot of people who would love this album haven't just heard it yet. It's five years after his debut album came out. I think it's fair to call J.I.D. an Atlanta legend at this point. And this is a sort of musical, poetic autobiography for him. And it's got phenomenal songs. I really love Sistanem, which is a song about his long, complex relationship with his sister, who he's often called the most supportive person in his life. They have a lot of issues. Amazing just incredibly candid and beautiful rhymes about having Zoom get-togethers with siblings and feeling 
distant. It's very attuned to the fine details of a brother-sister relationship over the years and decades in a way that I just haven't heard done in, a, in any kind of song before. It's a really beautiful song, Sister Nam. The whole album is great. I think J.I.D. generally gets slept on, but he's one of the most phenomenal MCs. It ends with 2007. Yeah, 2007, cold drop to come up. I was in high school playing corner. I never dreamt of mumbling words in front of hundreds. Studying plays all summer. A song called 2007, where he's rapping about how he was a kid in 2007 and he hears J. Cole and it blows his mind. It makes him want to do something with his life. It makes him want to be creative. It makes him want to be an artist. And you have J. Cole coming in on the track saying, dude, really? You were listening to me then? And you got this away from it? Because I thought I was doing this. And then J.I.D.'s dad comes on and joins the track and he says, you know, you're a weird kid. I've never heard a song quite like 2007 before. Yes. And whenever I hear a song called 2007 and it's about how someone was a who's currently a star, was a child at that point. I have to remind myself, no fear of time. And no I fear of Black's, time, exactly. I, I think Blackstar... We assemble that. an arc and just float on. <laughs> that's right. That's all we can do. Uh, number 10 is the band Ribbon Stage, and the album is hit with the most. It's a trio who live in Portland. They bang this out in a week. It's a fantastic guitar band. It's funny. I saw them this summer, their very first live gig because they started during the pandemic and they didn't play out. And so the first time they played a live show was this summer and they were opening for Bikini Kill, which talk about a high pressure debut, but it's fantastic punk rock record with the bassist and singer, Annihilator, 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 <laughs> Annihilator as a name. And she's singing about going through a breakup, listening to the Velvet Underground, listening to Mo Tucker solo records like Playing Possum, which is the name of the song. And just a fantastic, high energy, high spirits, sort of bratty, intense, 30-minute, 20-minute punk rock record. Straight ahead, you listen to it, you get bruises on your shins afterwards. It's just a beautiful straight ahead punk rock record that I found extremely playable and really holds up over time, which a lot of records that make that kind of first impression don't. But this, I think it's a grower. So I'm excited for what whatever Ribbon Stage you're going to do next, but I just love this record. Real quick, where did you even find these people? Ribbon Stage put out a tape last year, wow. which was a phenomenal tape. I think it was in 2020 because I was listening to it a lot at the time of Evermore. So at the time that this tape came out, I was going on walks with my Walkman listening to Taylor Swift's Evermore and the Ribbon Stage EP, switching tapes. And they both sounded fantastic and they were both high energy, youthful angst that could really relate to. So it's funny that those tapes are really linked for me, but Ribbon Stage are just fantastic. Number nine is Sudan Archives, Natural Brown Prom Queen. Sudan Archives, such an amazingly diverse record that takes a lot of different pop styles together and blends them, blends them in a really creative way. It's got a very sort of uh, sonic syncretism that's going on between the, the rock stuff, the pop stuff. There's African folk music. She's a traditional violin player, but it's sort of a self-produced and really just totally self-realized musical autobiography. Brittany Denise Parks is her name. She's the one who is Sudan Archives. She's a violinist. She's a producer. She's a songwriter. And the songs, they have a lot of sort of 
gospel touches and hip hop touches and R&B touches, along with the sort of African folk traditions that she messes around with and involves into her sort of musical autobiography. Selfish Soul is a phenomenal song. That's a song that comes on and it sounds like on another planet, this would be a top 40 hit. It's just immediately soulful and melodic and just grabs you right away. And it's really just the way into this record, which is just full of surprises. This is a record you can listen to for months and months. You keep noticing crazy details that you missed the first few hundred times around. Number eight, and it's not uncommon at the end of the year for there to have been a very good album by Craig Finn that perhaps didn't get enough attention. And this one is called A Legacy of Rentals. And Craig Finn is, of course, the frontman of The Hold Study, who's been making a bunch of solo records. Yeah, it's really kind of amazing. He began making solo records really just around five years ago after The Hold Steady had already established themselves. They're doing their 20th anniversary show in a couple of weeks. And uh, they are phenomenal because when The Hold Steady started, they were already grown-ups. They were already dudes in their 30s who had been in other bands. And this was this band really started as a sort of musical autobiography for them. I realize I'm using that term a lot today, but I relate to those kind of storytelling impulses in, in pop music. It was really after the whole study were around for years that that Craig Finn, the singer, started making his really distinctive and different solo albums. And it's funny that he's made four of them at this point. And they're all good, but they're all really wildly different. Until now, my favorite one was We All Want the Same Things, which came out in 2017. And that was a very an album that really sounded hugely influenced by Bob Dylan's Time Out of Mind, which is a record that you think that people are going to be imitating a lot more in the future than they're imitating now. But a really amazing sort of spooky, post-folk, post-punk sort of sound to to take up. And this album, it's really different because it's just plainly beautiful. Honestly, when I heard the first song and I heard strings, I said, this is a Craig Finn record. Because these guys, Craig Finn and his band, they have always come out of punk rock. But there's a beautiful sort of element. He said that the premise for this album was doing Wichita Lineman for an entire album, which is a great idea. Wichita which, Lineman. By the way, which, by the way, is basically also the premise for Bruce Springsteen's Western Stars from a couple of years ago. That totally makes sense. Western Stars. <laughs> I love that record. And I know you love it too. It's, I, I think it's a slept on Springsteen classic at this point. I think it deserves that title. But it's amazing. Wichita Lineman, one of the great, really weird one-offs in pop history, sung written by Jimmy Webb and recorded by Glenn Campbell. I am a lineman for the county And I drive the main road And done really definitively, I think, by... Ray Charles, but I love every version of Wichita Lineman. And it's amazing that this song is so spooky and so singular. It really stands out from any career that it's been part of. It's a song that just stops you in its tracks with a really beautiful, gorgeous song about this really intense kind of cosmic loneliness. And Craig Finn does that in these songs and songs like Messing with the Settings or A Break from the Barrage. When she showed up at the bar last night, she didn't intend to stay out late, but here we are again with the sunrise. Scraping at the remnants of a high time. She sh- Songs that are really beautiful and piercing on the surface. They're really, I hate to use a word like uplifting about a record that is frank in its details of day-to-day details of people struggling with addiction, people struggling with capitalism, which part of the premise for this album is that for him, they're the same thing. But 
It's beautiful sort of portraits of people in ordinary life. And just some of these people happen to be addicts or dealers or hustlers or some kind of low-level criminal. But just a beautiful record. Messing with the settings is the one to start with. Rachel did her best with the deal she'd been dealt. And that's what I've got for her eulogy. That's just a beautiful sort of funeral oration at the funeral of a friend who you used to have bad habits with and you hoped that maybe they would have gotten free and lasted a little longer than you did. And it's really beautiful, ambivalent eulogy of a song. I've never heard a song quite like it, but God, it's beautiful. Messing with the settings, Craig Finn. And your number seven is a band we've talked about, I think, before in the podcast. It's this trio from Chicago called Horse Girl, and the album is called Versions of Modern Performance. Horse Girl are just a phenomenal guitar band from Chicago. A lot of really wild, exciting stuff coming out of the Chicago indie rock scene these days. But it's a just flat-out shameless guitar record in the sort of adventure indie rock guitar sort of way with three women from Chicago who are still teens at this point. And, or at least they were when they made the album. And Worlds of Pot and Pots and Pans is the song to start with if you're listening to this record for the first time. It's just a phenomenal sort of song that's a sort of introduction to their world and their style of music. But they write really funny, take no bullshit kind of lyrics and sing with a sneer. The guitars have an element of beauty in the clang. It's really amazing. Lee Ronaldo and Steve Shelley from Sonic Youth play in one of the songs, and that's definitely a starting point for this album. Yeah, how did they hook up with them? Do you know? I don't know. I think probably they heard Horse Girl and flipped and wanted to be part of it. It's one of the times I saw them this year, they were opening for Pavement. And Mm. it was funny, the Pavement on stage, we're talking about how amazing Horse Girl were. It's amazing how much of this year's most brilliant music came from young women listening to Pavement and hearing themselves in it and finding a cool way to steal it. It's a really huge theme of the year. But Horse Girl, just a phenomenal band. They're very recommendable for me. I find that people that I think would like Horse Girl, when I tell them to listen to it, they genuinely like it. It's a record that connects with who it's trying to connect to. And the last of the low-profile stuff on your list that we'll talk about, because there's some very high-profile stuff on the list as well. Number five is a beautiful album. The artist is Pictoria Vark, and the album is The Parts I Dread. Yeah, this is an amazing album, a very soft-spoken, but really emotionally insistent kind of record from... Victoria Vark, who is a singer-songwriter, and she has sort of a, a, a nomadic life. I think she's based in Iowa at this point, but she's also got songs about living in the East Coast, the suburbs, Jersey, Brooklyn, Wyoming, Paris, all these different places that she's lived. And she is a, a bass player, which is funny for a singer-songwriter who composes these songs, but I think that's why they have this sort of soulful depth, soulful depth to them. I first heard Victoria Vark it was last year, it was a single called I Can't Bike. And the which I completely loved. Had this really fantastic sort of aggressive guitar solo at the end. And you know me, the combination of guitar solos and actual emotional content is a sort of unbeatable combination. It's when that combination comes together, just 
nothing can top it. But Friend Song, which is a very beautiful song in this album. It's the quietest one, the most personal one. But it really gets under your skin. But she's a new singer-songwriter, but I'm looking forward to whatever she does in the future. I think this is just an amazing record that is still a grower and that I'm still finding things in after listening to it for eight, nine, ten months at this point. And that's pretty much it for, as I said, the lower profile stuff on her list is also such up-and-coming artists as Taylor Swift and Beyonce. You all should check them out if you haven't at this point. I think they're going to make it. Yeah, they may. They may. Another indie album that I love this year that got slept on was the Sour Widows, who are West Coast guitar rockers. They have very elegiac songs. One of one of the band members lost their longtime partner and really candid songs about grief in this really youthful, noisy guitar clang that nonetheless has these real grown-up emotions evoked by it. The most amazing song is called I-90. That's the one to start with. It's about driving on this really kind of unmythic, unromantic kind of highway, just the last place you would expect would have any emotional connections, but thinking about driving there with their partner and feeling a dead partner riding along with them. It's really intense and yet really embracing song about having that kind of grief in just everyday situations. And I think Sour Widows have really done something amazing with this record. I think they're a band that will go on doing even more amazing things. And that's our show for today. Please go and subscribe to Rolling Stone Music Now wherever you get your podcasts. And maybe leave us five stars and a nice review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify because that's always deeply appreciated. But as always, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week. Welcome to Talkville, the ultimate Smallville rewatch podcast. Guest star Sarah Carter as Alicia Baker. Although I didn't really work with her a lot. But Tom did, and they had some real big smoochy scenes. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Could there be any more sex? What was the three-page makeout scene that just kept going? Good Lord. We get it. They have chemistry. Jump in now or catch up on any of the past seasons of Talkville on YouTube or wherever you listen.